This week we talk about West Virginia, the Atlantic League season in 2021, and why Will hates concerts. So you'll want to listen to this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We are back again, another episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I think this is 103, or at least that's what the top of my notes say. So, you know, we got some information this week. We got some news here. We got an interview, which is always nice. We got uh, kind of a formalizing of a new team in the league, that being the Atlantic League. And we got staff hirings, and then we really got the piece of resistance, which is our bit to add afterwards. But uh, you already know that. I'm Nick. Yeah. He's Will, and we have uh, an interesting week for you. Interesting. To, to, to say the least, it was a uh, – and we have a lot of things to cover, a lot, a lot of things to cover, as well as a terrific interview. Absolutely. I suppose we should just start immediately getting into that interview, as we always uh, do on this show. And uh, we did interview the uh, chief operating officer of the Lexington Les- Legends – not Lessons, although – as you'll hear in the interview, part of the plan is educating people at the ballpark of the differences in the Atlantic League from the South Atlantic League. And uh, the gentleman we brought on was Jesse uh, Scaglione. Very good interview. I, I I had an absolute blast doing this interview. I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait for people to hear it. Exactly. And I guess just kind of going into it, we'll preface it with he's a guy that has a, a lot of personality. He's a really fun guy to talk to. Uh, there's a lot of really good information in the uh, interview itself. I will say there was a couple of times when I wound up running through editing it, it appears the audio froze more than I had thought. Uh, nothing really was lost in it, though, because I do remember like what parts were cut. It was just a little bit uh, when we talked about uh, rivalries with Long Island and whatnot. That got cut a little bit here, but I'm sure we'll be able to fill those gaps in uh, going forward here, and we'll explain what that means once you hear the interview and everything like that here. But I suppose enough of teasing it, uh, we could just jump right into it unless we have anything else left to add before going into it. I, I, I don't think so. Let's get into it. All right. So with that, here is our interview with the Chief Operating Officer of the Lexington Legends, Jesse Scaglione. All right, we are back again. Another interview, and I have a feeling it's going to be a good one this week. Obviously, last week we talked about the Lexington Legends move into the Atlantic League, and I figured there'd be nothing better than to have somebody on from the Legends to talk about the move themselves. So this week, we welcome to the show the COO of the Lexington Legends, Jesse Scaglione. How's it going today? Thanks for having me. Yep. I'm excited. I'm pumped to talk some baseball and not talk about world events or snow or ice and uh we're excited to join the atlantic league so this should be fun yeah we appreciate you having you on and there's nothing better than being able to talk baseball while i look out my window in north jersey and i see it snowing again <laughs> well we can't see the fields here in kentucky we got a little bit of a little bit of weather the last few weeks so we're hoping there's a baseball field under there somewhere oh uh, it'll show up hopefully if not <laughs> yeah just take some uh take like some orange chalk and chalk up lines on the there snow there you go We've got time. We've got time, you know? Exactly. This could be, this could turn into a creative promotion for you if it doesn't melt. (laughs) I don't know. That that kind of scares me a little bit. I don't know what that would look like. (laughs) 
only one way to find out. But uh, <laughs> I suppose we could just get going off the bat here. And obviously, the big news of the week, like I just mentioned, was the Lexington Legends kind of joining the Atlantic League. We've been kind of teasing at this for a while now. There was a lot of rumor around it. And obviously, at first, a lot of us were kind of surprised given the success that you had with a Frontier League team over the summer in 2020 with the Battle of the Bourbon Trail. So I was wondering if you could just kind of go into some of the factors that made the Atlantic League the most attractive option and really if there were any other options available. Yeah, I think, you know, the biggest thing for us was we wanted to learn about every option that was out there, right? So we knew this was coming in certain ways. You know, nothing was official until it ended up being an official contraction list, I guess. And so we wanted to go out there and learn. And we, we met with, you know, the three big partner leagues um, and learned a lot about them. And we were impressed by each league and a different level of, of play, rules, future strategies, teams. I mean, you know, there's so much out there when it comes to independent slash partner baseball. And what the biggest factor for us kind of started was number of games. So we own our and operate our ballpark independently with no government assistance, which is very rare uh, in 2021. So for us, the most important factor is playing as many games and having as many events as possible in the ballpark, especially after a year where, you know, COVID impacted revenue so greatly. So that was kind of the first part of it for us. And then the second part was roster flexibility. You know, we want to put on a great show for our fans. And now that we can truly be, you know, Kentucky's professional team, Lexington's professional team, we want to be able to bring in the big name skilled players who make sense for us and Atlantic League, you know, had the best setup for that for us. We definitely considered all the options. We definitely had an absolute blast playing against the Florence Freedom and Y'alls all summer. And there was a really cool rivalry there. And, you know, hopefully maybe we can partner up on some things moving forward. But that was kind of the, the main focus for us was number of games and level of play. Awesome there. And I think Will had a decent amount of questions about the Battle of the Bourbon Trail. So I'll have more to ask you in just a little bit, but I guess I'll uh, bring Will into the conversation now to go on that uh, tangent. Yeah. So, Jesse, I really wanted to ask, as far as the Battle of the Bourbon Trail, obviously the pandemic disrupted pretty much all of independent independent baseball during the summer. So uh, I guess what went into, I mean, especially I believe you guys were the only uh, affiliated market at the time to actually do some sort of baseball so what, what kind of went into that and it, it was definitely an abnormal partnership with an with an independent league team so what went into the the making of the battle of the bourbon trail and how, how did that all come together i wish i could say that i thought of it all by myself and i did everything by myself and i take all the credit but it's not true uh, so our team president and our owner andy shea uh, who you guys probably saw on the Zoom call last week, he mm-hmm. kind of had this concept in his mind about figuring out ways to utilize. You know, I mentioned the ballpark is in our control, and a lot of affiliated teams have deals with the city government that, you know, presented problems for them to do this. So we thought, okay, how do we use the ballpark safely? And so we started with playing some local uh, summer collegiate ball. There was a league that was formed in Lexington by a couple parents whose kids didn't get to go off and play traditional summer ball. So we started with that, you know, a hundred fans here and there, concessions, tried to make it work. Uh, and then the idea kind of popped into, into our minds that, you know, we could utilize this field and we can really do something cool. And so Andy had become friends with, uh, David Del Bello, who's the, you know, managing partner of the Florence Yalls. And they had this idea. Well, since the Frontier League had said you can play games or just not 
championship season games. What if we still brought our guys in and, and you guys put a team together and they just kind of went back and forth and this idea hit us that all of the affiliated guys are also not playing, right? Unless you're in a, a taxi squad or you're on an alternate site, you're sitting at home. So if we can get permission from the MLB clubs, let's do it. So we went around and we started calling guys and going on Twitter. And um, I can't tell you how many times I get a text from Andy, like two in the morning, I'd be a list of guys that he reached out to on Instagram and they all responded. And so we were able to put together a tryout and then also, you know, have some guys kind of pre-assigned to us that we knew we were going to bring in a lot of university of Kentucky baseball players, uh, tried to get some former legends, guys that we knew, you know, Ben Revere, Robbie Ross, former big leaguers who live in Lexington. And we wanted to make it as local as possible because hotels are an issue, travel's an issue during all this. And so we just basically grinded and called as many people as we could. And we put together these four teams and we played 35 games in each city. And it was unbelievable. Right. And, and I guess in a season where so many teams were hurting financially, I guess did the Battle of the Bourbon Trail from a financial standpoint, did that kind of soften the blow of the pandemic for you guys a little bit or, or not really? A little bit. I mean, you know, <laughs> the one thing that you learn in a pandemic, I guess, is how to improve, right? And so for us, we were able to really look into how we could be better efficient in certain areas and, you know, what parts of our operation are kind of luxury items and what can we get by with? And you've probably heard people say that in, you know, minor league baseball, you wear many hats and all these tacky sayings, but it's true. And so we, you know, we definitely had a loss issue. We had to cut down on staff. We had to make some really tough decisions and, and, you know, struggle a little bit, but we were able to, you know, recuperate some of that money with playing baseball games. And we had limited capacity of a thousand fans per game, very, very spaced out, you know, temperature checks at the door, masks and all the general areas. We were able to serve concessions. And, you know, it saved a lot of jobs here. Uh, it saved us. It definitely kept us going. And, you know, by no means were we rolling up the truck to collect all the cash, but we definitely were able to stay afloat and keep it, make it happen. And that for us, that was the most important thing was having some shred of normalcy at the ballpark. So the fans in Lexington, mm-hmm. if they chose to go outside, could come out to the ballpark, have a hot dog, have a beer or a Pepsi and watch guys like Brandon Phillips absolutely tee off on, on pitchers. And so, yeah. you know, we, we had this season and we were able to bring in some unbelievable names, which was really cool. And I think the other big part of this was it made us comfortable with the idea of, Hey, we can turn this team from affiliated into partner league. We kind of did it already. We know what we're doing. We've gone through protocol testing and we know how to sign players and we've built relationships. And so for us, it, it taught right. us so much and we learned so much about who we are as, a, as an operation. And then additionally, it was baseball. Right. And, and I guess from, from the managerial side, you brought in uh, PJ Phillips to, to manage the legends during the battle of the bourbon trail. And obviously you guys, and decided to stick with him as the manager of the legends for your inaugural Atlantic league season. So my question is, I guess, what did, what did the front office see in PJ Phillips during the battle of the bourbon trail? Cause I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. So what did you guys see in, in PJ during the summer that led to you guys keeping him? And, uh, despite, listen, he, he's only, he's only 34 years old. There's not a lot of, uh, managers yeah. who are that young in the Atlantic league. So what led you guys uh, giving him a shot and saying that's our guy for this year? PJ is a he's a baseball guy. Like he he through and through is just a good baseball dude. 
you know, he, he knows the game. He's played it his whole life. He's been around it. His family plays around it. He understands the game. And so for us, we were trying to figure this whole thing out. We wanted someone that we trusted, right? We didn't want to have someone come in that we didn't know, weren't familiar with, who was going to say, okay, this is how you're supposed to do it. You don't know what you're talking about. This is what we're doing, right? We wanted to have someone who could walk us through the process, but also wanted to learn. In PJ's case, he played in the league. He's familiar with guys who played in the league. He has that network already. But further, he has Lexington ties. He's been here. He understands what it means to be in this community. Plus, he knows what it means to work with us. He knows what our expectations are. He knows how to meet those qualities. And we're really, really excited about PJ. We think that, you know, his age, yeah, he's young. He may be the youngest manager in league history. I don't really know. But we are very confident what he can do on the field and off the field for us as well. Right. And and I know Nick had a, had a couple of questions about uh, players and building a roster yeah. for, for you guys at this point. So I'll, I'll throw it back to him to ask some of those. Yeah, no. Yeah, so what I was I was kind of wondering here because we've obviously seen kind of filtering through the Instagram accounts and whatnot. There are some guys that seem to have kind of already agreed to play for Lexington this year or have heavily hinted at that. So I was wondering when we're just going to kind of start to see you know more player signings get officially announced, when we're going to start seeing PJ staff get filled out, and just that kind of general thing. Yeah, I don't have any confirmed dates to give you in, in terms of that. I will say this. We have talked to, you know, we've, we've started reaching out to players. Um, we started reaching out to players several weeks ago when we knew this was going to happen and while we were working out the details. And a lot of it has been, hey, you know, we're pretty sure we're joining the league, but we're not 100% sure yet, so bear with me kind of stuff. And, yeah. uh, using our networks and, you know, I'm sure that you you can figure that out, the connections there. But um, our hope is that we're going to start officially making these roster moves in the next week or so, uh, putting them out there. And, you know, we would like to really make a big deal about all this. So we're going to, you know, yeah. push them out, not all at once, but different guys have different uh, meaning for us. And so you'll start to see those coming out probably, I'd say seven to 10 days. That's okay. the goal. All right. So around the end of this month, beginning of March is really when we're going to start to see this kind of ramping up. Exactly. I mean, we didn't, you know, we also know that from what we've been told by other, you know, teams and, and coaching staffs and things like that, that, we didn't want to be behind in the process, but we also know that with the landscape of baseball right now, we don't have to put 25 guys in the field tomorrow. So yeah. we're going to do this very aggressively, but we're also going to be very intentional with who we sign and how we go about doing it. Okay, awesome there. I, because I know we see various teams go at different paces. So I was just curious about that. And then I guess kind of building off of that too, is there any name that we may not know about right now that, you guys have been talking with here that we're going to go, Oh, wow. That that's a really substantial name here. Or are we not you know quite what? at that I point? I still can't figure out who your guys' sources are on all these things because mm -hmm. I, I decided to do a little research and listen to some, some shows before I came on with you all. And okay. uh, it's just funny listening to it. You know, it, I always am fascinated by this stuff, but yeah. there are some names out there that you guys have not mentioned that you do not know about. Okay. Um, and we're excited about that. Uh, you know, a, a big part of that is going to be if we can make it all work in yeah. each, each situation. Um, but it, I would look for some exciting news for sure. We're, you know, we want to make a statement. We are coming yeah. out of a, a transition. Um, you know, even though it's a different field landscape for us, we are the back-to-back -back South League Atlantic League champions. So mm -hmm. we do want to yeah. keep winning and make statements. So, yeah, I think there's a few names out there that you don't know about yet. Okay, because I know you guys are going to be in a difficult division, most likely with High Point, a new Gastonia yeah. team. 
presumably uh, Mystery Team X that we're still waiting on to be number eight. Yes. So uh, I certainly I know I can speak for High Point. They always put out a quality product on the field and off the field. So it's definitely going to be difficult uh, contending with them. And who knows from everybody else here? They're all wild cards at this point. So. Uh, be certainly interesting to watch that. I, for more of a fan experience perspective, though, at the ballpark, I am a bit curious to know because I did have one person ask, you know, are there going to be autographs and things this year? But I kind of wanted to make that into a bigger question, which is what's the COVID protocol going to be like at least to start the year? And obviously a lot of this depends on how the pandemic right. progresses and everything. But is there any sort of a, a general idea or the protocols going to be similar to over this summer or are we looking at something different? There are going to be a specific set of, of protocols um, for the league. Uh, you know, okay. I know that much. Um, we're still working on it. We've got committees, uh, as you guys probably know yeah. from being in this longer than I have. That the Atlantic League has an unbelievable support system between, you know, presidents, general managers, owners, all that stuff, and so everyone is really working extremely hard on putting this together and, and trying to figure out, you know, what makes the most sense. We've been following along with all of the major sports leagues. How are they doing it? What works? What doesn't work? You know, we know from experience about the testing side of things, so there will be staff. You know, safety is the most important thing, right? You know, baseball is kind of second in this situation. So we want to make sure that it's safe and and sound. There will be autographs. We will be doing some special autograph sessions here in Lexington specifically. Um, We're going to work on some kind of safe autograph protocols with distant autographs, things like that. But um, we, we found that we could do that this summer in small doses, you know, we don't want to have people rushing the fence. So they will be organized autograph sessions and things of that nature. But again, like you mentioned, as this summer goes on and hopefully herd immunity and vaccinations reach a certain point where we can kind of ease up a little bit and and make those experiences better. But again, it's safety of our fans and our players are are most important for us. Of course, always. And so I'll just kind of build off of that though, but in normal circumstances, what could we expect the Legends game day uh, experience and atmosphere to be like? I know I can't really speak for uh, what Lexington, Kentucky is normally like as far as a game day being, you know, mainly yeah. from New Jersey. So I was just kind of curious to for people that may not be well acquainted with it. Uh, what is that kind of like? Is it a typical ballpark experience and what makes it stand out from that? It sounds like you guys need to visit, first of all, but we'll get to that later. It, uh, yeah, it is your typical ballpark, ballpark experience. We definitely try to have a lot of fun here. You know, one of the driving factors in this whole thing for us has been being able to control our, our on-field product and being able to have that connection with the fans. But, you know, we love fireworks. We do a ton of fireworks shows, giveaways, cheap beer, cheap hot dogs, a lot of local concession connections as well. Uh, we're working on a, on a state-run concession stand that is locally sourced and then in terms of you know our promotions and on-field things it's it's like any other minor league ballpark in the sense that we want to be fun and, and have affordable entertainment uh, but we like to get goofy and change it up you know and, and we're going to keep growing with that as we get into this partner league uh, world and learn what we can and can't do and we just want to have fun with it we just want to be able to give our fans unbelievable access to the players uh, so we'll be doing a lot more streaming options a lot of new innovative streaming of our broadcasts, hopefully, as you've probably heard. And yep. um, we're just going to keep working on it. You know, for me, when I when I was promoted here and we sat down as a staff, one of the most important things that I brought up was how we view our fan base and how we keep our fans engaged. And so, you know, without boring you guys, we've broken it down into three sections. That first section is, you know, you park the ballpark, you, you meet the ticket takers, so on and so forth. We'll be switching to digital ticketing this year for 
safety reasons, but also for ease of use. And then that second part for us is our big focus. That's our in-game entertainment, our concession stands, what we have to offer, merchandise. And so a lot of that stuff is getting a, a much needed upgrade and refreshing. Okay, cool, cool. That's definitely something that's uh, very interesting to me. And I know uh, Will had a question or two on the marketing of the team in general. So I'll flip it back over to him. What, I, what I'm really curious is really throughout this 2021 season, we're going to have, we're having a few teams that used to be affiliated, no longer have their affiliation, and they're now in, in partner, in a partner league. So obviously the marketing aspect has to change, right? You can't, at least for the Royals, you can't promote, hey, we have Bobby Witt Jr. playing here. Obviously he didn't play in Mexican yet, but probably would have pretty soon. So I guess, from your perspective, what challenges lie ahead for you guys from a marketing perspective uh, in the move from affiliated ball to the Atlantic League? And are there any benefits to that, you think, as well? Yeah, I see it as an educational piece, right? I think you're going to have your fans who just enjoy coming out to the ballpark for family time or for baseball. And, you know, they're going to look at this and say, hey, it's the Lexington Legends. I have no idea who's on the field but they're doing well and I love the promotions and I love what's going on and I'll remember it, right? And then you're going to have the fans who are really invested in the team. They understand what it means to be affiliated. They understand, hey, I saw Jose Altuve play here when he was a you know minor leaguer, but maybe they didn't understand that at the time, right? So you kind of have that look back. For us, it's the reverse now. We're going to be able to educate our fans and explain to them that the players here are more mature, they're older, and it's a higher level of baseball. You know, no knock on the low A single A level, but you're talking about guys who are still developing as fielders and hitters and they're learning what not to swing at and what not to throw. Mm -hmm. The Atlantic League guys are guys who have been there. They understand they've been close to the big leagues and they've been in the big leagues. They know what they're playing for. They're going to come in and, and work their butt off, but also they're going to interact with the fans. They understand, you know, they understand they were kids once they went to these ballparks. They know how cool it is to talk to the players. And so we, that's a big focus for us, making sure that our roster is built with community focused guys. And so from a marketing standpoint, we're going to market that. Another another piece of this for us that is going to be very intentional that you will kind of figure out as we go along is how important it is for us to have local connections with our players. We have an unbelievable baseball program here in the University of Kentucky. There are a lot of guys out there we'd like to bring in from that program. There are guys from Eastern Kentucky University, University of Louisville, things like that. So for us, we want to truly make this a community-focused team. And it starts with bringing in guys who understand that. I think having those pieces in place will help us market the team. And then, of course, we'll do all the weird social media stuff we did before. We don't have to ask permission anymore. <laughs> I'll get, yeah, that actually leads into my, what, what I was going to ask for my next question. Do you guys, at, at least for your promotions and, and I guess different, different, parts of, uh, different parts of marketing as well, I guess, what did you need to ask for permission from I, wh whoever it was, whether it's the Royals or, or MILB? I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but that yeah, you can now do, uh, that you can now do freely. I guess, what are the differences there now that you guys are, are a partner league team? That's a great question. So it's not so much, you know, permission on certain things. Like we could post whatever we wanted, you know, we could do whatever we wanted in certain levels, but. You know, when you have community appearances, it's always tough when you have to go ask three people or ask, you know, a manager to say, hey, we need some guys to sign up to go to the school appearance. When you have younger players, it's really tough because they're so focused on getting to the big league. You know, for yeah. them, it's they're young, right? They, they just got out of school. You know, we weren't thinking that when we were that age. We were focused on our careers and stuff. So ask, you know, being able to go to the clubhouse and say, hey, 
you, you, and you, let's go. We're going to go read books to kids at the school today. And they're going to go, okay, great. You know, or saying, hey, we want to do some player interviews on the field and maybe put them in funny costumes and stuff. Well, you know, the Royals were unbelievable partners. They never would say no to anything like that. But it's nice not to have that step, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, the, the other thing I wanted, I wanted to ask is, you've seen teams who, who were affiliated and come to independent ball and they've rebranded, right? They want to, they want to essentially rebrand their team to Mm -hmm. uh, differentiate themselves from, Hey, this is, this is now the new, uh, whether it's uh, Lexington or the new New Britain is the best, probably the best example uh, back in 2016 in the Atlantic league when they went from the twins double A affiliate to the Atlantic league. So obviously you guys are keeping the Lexington legends name, um, did you guys ever consider a rebrand of the Legends? And what, what were the reasons that I, I guess you kept, uh, ended up keeping the name, keeping the same brand? We, we have not considered a rebrand. And I'll tell you, you know, for us, we love our mustache logo just from a branding standpoint. We love being the Lexington Legends. You know, the nice thing for us is that we are the Lexington Legends, right? We're not the Lexington Royals, not the Lexington Astros, anything like that. So we've, we've been able to keep our name. For us, it is also the marketing piece is, you know, we talked about the fans, right? So the fans who, who are just in it for the fun, they're going to know it's still the Lexington legends, right? We don't want to come in here and say, Hey, now we're the Lexington, you know, horseback riders or something. And they're going to go, who is this team? What happened? We want to let them know it's still us. It's still the same front office. It's still the same great promotions and deals and events and fun. And everything is still Lexington legends. It just looks a little different on the field. You're not going to see, like you said, maybe a Bobby Wood Jr., but instead you might see a former Major League All-Star, right? So from that mm-hmm. standpoint. The other thing is, it is still us, right? So, I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this. My memory of the New Britain situation is a little fuzzy, but I believe it was new owners who came into New Britain in that situation. And in that yeah. case, the rebrand makes sense. It's new people. It's not the same group who upped and moved to Hartford. And I know there was a little contention in that community. So we want to maintain our community awareness and our community strength that, hey, we're still the legends. It's still going to be awesome to have mustaches everywhere and we're going to roll with it. And hopefully everyone's still on board with that. And we have an awesome logo and an unbelievable hat and people seem to love that. Right. And you know, all, all this stuff, like obviously we're so much, so much talk about Lexington and at, at least when the first, the MILB contraction uh, list came out, I mean, Lexington was really at the top of, uh, at, really at the top of the list. Um, and, I guess from your perspective, were you a little bit were you a little bit surprised that the uh, that the legends uh, were among the teams to lose their affiliation? And did you guys have any hunch maybe during the summer that this was going to happen? Did this pop out? Of, did this kind of pop out of nowhere? I, I hate to backtrack, but it's something I've, okay. I, I was kind of kind of curious about just just to kind of get a perspective of a team that that did lose their affiliation. Did it kind of come out of nowhere or did you guys kind of have a feeling and were you preparing it for it for a while or? I'm going to be very honest with you and it it might not be uh, the most widely agreed upon opinion in the industry, but you know, yes, we were very, you know, when when that list first came out, we were angry. We were very angry. You know, there was an article released. uh, I think the New York times had it, Bill Madden had it in the daily news uh, it was all over, you know, baseball America and social media. And uh, we were pissed. And, you know, the first thought is, what did I do wrong? Or what did we do wrong? Or, or what's the issue? And then there was some things out there about travel and about facilities. And, and we went through all of it. And once we kind of came down from that anger of 
this could happen, we decided, you know what, there's not much that we can do. It's out of our control at this point. This plan has been put in place. You know, Major League Baseball is working through this. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Let's make sure that we are prepared for any scenario. If a Major League team had called us and said, you know what, the list was just wrong, you're in, this is what you are, great. We'll roll on, we'll do what we have to do. If it turned out it wasn't, we'd find the next best thing for us and what makes sense. And once we figured out that we could, you know, what we could do in independent and, and eventually what became partner league baseball, we got really excited. And we thought, you know what, this is really cool for the team. We can have so much control over it. We can change up the way we do things. The schedule is a little different for us. And they're not having to play early April games in Lexington is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the level of competitiveness in the league is really strong. There was just so many bright spots. And so as the time passed and the list kept being brought up again in the media, you know, we, we had our suspicions. I don't think we were shocked when it happened because we had been following along with this. You know, there are a few teams out there that I'm sure had some different reactions and were surprised. I don't think we need to talk about them, but we know, mm-hmm. you know, some teams up in, in your neck of the woods that kind of got that last minute social media mention maybe, but you know, the rest of us knew about this. It was out there, you know, major league baseball had made comments. All the articles were written. We knew it was going to happen. So when the list was finally, I guess, published for lack of a better term, it didn't surprise us one bit. We knew it. We said, okay, this happened. Let's get over it and let's move on. Because if you don't get over it and you don't adapt, then you're going to sink your business. And that was the biggest thing for us was making sure our business kept going and we could still provide baseball to Lexington. And, uh, and again, with the teams that were, that, that did lose their affiliation, they, they were kind of, uh, like, oh, they were kind of brought up to the reality that, hey, because obviously the big changes are you gotta pay, you gotta pay your players now, you gotta pay your coaches now. And there were teams in good markets, like the markets that come to mind are Trenton, uh, and Frederick that, hey, they had the, they had the fan base. Uh, they, they had they had the facilities to join, say, an Atlantic League, and they decided, and they decided not to, and they joined uh, a summer collegiate league. So I was wondering, because from at least from from your perspective, was summer college ball like ever an option for you guys? Certainly, it was. Uh, it, it's a cheaper route, but I guess did you guys did you guys ever consider it, or was it just it wasn't always we want professional baseball, we want partner league baseball, and and that's it. You know, the idea probably popped in our head for all of 30 seconds. Uh, we, we wanted professional baseball and no knock on the college league and the summer collegiate baseball and everything. Those are successful programs. I think the Appalachian League is going to be huge and I think it fits those markets, right? So for us, we knew professional baseball played. Look, we average over 4,000 fans a game here. It's not like we weren't doing anything. So that part of it was tough. And I think one of the really cool things was the community really got into it and the, the social media and our, our fan base who had kind of been quiet had said, look, this is not okay. Like you need to do something about this as a state. And we tried to get, you know, we tried everything we could within the state to get back in, into that. But for us, it was professional baseball because we wanted to show the fans that we weren't giving up, that we knew that it was important to have baseball in this community and professional baseball. And yes, it's scary when you think about the finances of it, right? You got to pay the players. You got to pay the coaches. You got to pay insurance. That's workers' compensation insurance for the players is something you've never sure. had to deal with as an affiliated team team doctors, trainers, you know, there's all these scary pieces to it. But it's not that scary. If you use your network wisely and you look at it, you can make it happen. On the flip side, by not being an affiliated team, there are a lot of things that we don't have to pay anymore. So from a financial standpoint, it kind of balances itself out. Hmm. Okay. 
So, so I, I guess that that's the one part. Before I throw it over to Nick, it balances yeah. out. I guess like what are the what are the things I guess specifically you don't have to pay now that kind of that kind of balance out the transition. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the biggest thing and I think probably the most public thing is is ticket taxes, and so when you know affiliated teams okay. tend to. Uh, have to pay fees back to the mothership on tickets and things like that. And that's part of being, you know, a major league affiliate. And that's part of being part of the major league brand, right? So that is something that was a, a large expense to the team that we didn't have to do anymore. And now we can put that into players. Um, some other things related to travel and hotels and standards and things like that. Not saying that we're going to change it up and put guys in roadside motels or anything like that, but the way that the payments are structured through these things, you know, if a, if the major league club says, you know what, we're going to send 45 guys in the road. We feel like all these pitchers need to go and watch or we're going to bring all these coaches in. You have to pay for that. And so there are pieces of that that you don't get to control, but you have to write a check for. And so now we can control that and we can write the checks from our own account, but we can also pay our players and we can make deals that affect the team. It's really tough when you're affiliated to, you know, provide certain trade deals for partners and, and use players. Those things help generate revenue. So from a cost standpoint, definitely scary, definitely new. It's going to be unbelievably important for the fan base to come out and support the team. You know, people are excited. Season ticket sales are, go- are back on. People are buying tickets. Sponsors are excited. But it's it's not as scary as it seemed at first. That's that's really fascinating to me. I appreciate your uh I, yeah. I appreciate your answers on that. So I guess I'll, I'll throw it over to Nick. I know, I know I've been talking for a while, but it's been super interesting today. I can do this all day. I can talk about this all day. I'm a very transparent person with this stuff. And, you know, if it's something that I, I shouldn't be saying, I'll hear about it later, but I, I can do this all day. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're good to keep going for as long as need be here. As long as, as, long as this recording uh, continues to qu- keep cooperating with me, then I'm good to keep going. <laughs> I guess I just want to backtrack to one thing real quick. You mentioned how the, the mustache logo is kind of a symbol of the brand identity here. So I was just kind of wondering, what, what's the deal with the mustache logo? It just seems like it's kind of one of those things that's just kind of out there and I don't, there's probably a deep connection to it or, or something like that, but I just don't see it exactly off the bat there. Well, I'm just a really big hipster. No, I, uh, <laughs> we, you know, I was not here when that rebrand happened, so I don't know the full extent of it, but if you look back at our original logo, our mascot, Big L, had just a, a great mustache, right? Had that yeah. raw fingers type mustache. And so when we started to look at freshening the brand up after the Astros to Royals transition we made, um, Brandios, who a lot of teams in affiliated ball use to do logos, I'm sure. Maybe some yeah. people know who they are, maybe some people don't. But when we sat down with them and did some case studies, there was there were conversations, I guess, of maybe changing the name or what you could do to it. And the mustache tested really well, and they presented it to ownership. And ownership looked at it and said, this is really cool. And so I remember I was with uh, Binghamton Mets at the time, and I remember when that hat came out, and I ordered it like, right away. I had to have the mustache hat. Now I've got like 50 of them, but yeah. it's just a cool logo. You know, there, there's some people think it resembles the mustache one of the original general managers had. Um, we've had players grow it out, which I think is super cool. But other than that, it's just, we just like it. Okay, I feel so. Like I said, it's just one of those things that's very unique. It stands out, and yeah, uh, yeah it definitely is uh, is iconic to the brand at this point. So, uh, with that, I do want to continue on just talking about some more general Atlantic League stuff. We know when we talk to just about anyone from Gastonia or High Point, they make it very well known they're trying to get a rivalry going between those two cities. <laughs> so, I'm curious to know if we're going to see a Lexington and Blank rivalry and 
or who that blank will be, rather. I kind of want to get between David and Pete's little rivalry they've yeah. got going on there in North Carolina. I don't really know how, but if they're going to be in the same division <laughs> as us, you know, we just kind of show up. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, they're, without going into too much of the rumors of, of Team X, it's kind of funny. I've seen so many different social media posts, and there's like, yeah. so many options out there. People have you know, mentioned like six or seven different teams at this point, which is so interesting. Uh, yeah. But we love rivalries. If if a new team does happen to join the league and they make sense for us to be a rival, then we will certainly have that rivalry. Uh, I think, you know, I've tried to start a Twitter beef with Mike Fack in Long Island, but it hasn't gotten any legs <laughs> to it. So sure, we want to come in the league and make a statement really early, and uh, we want everyone to, to be nervous about playing us. On the flip side, if there was a team, you know, that made sense for us, we would definitely want to have that rivalry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're having now various guests from this show feuding with each other. Now we got, we already had High Point and Gastonia. Now we got Long Island and uh, Lexington. So the New Yorker in me just likes to, you know, take the beef home. So, you know. Well, I mean, you have to naturally. It's a matter of pride at a certain point. Ducks, come on. Exactly. Uh, So. I guess uh, I have a couple of questions from fans that I wanted to get to here, and and then uh, we can see where it goes from there here. But uh, one of the questions that I kept getting here that I don't think we've quite gotten to yet was the whole transition process. Has there been any sort of uh, big success that you weren't anticipating to be a success, any sort of an unexpected challenge, something like that? That was one question I kept seeing that get brought up, so I figured I'd mention that here. You know, I don't – in the challenge category – uh, I think it's all a, a challenge in a good way. It's just new, a lot of new stuff for us. So we're learning quickly, you know, reading through documents. And the league has been, I think I mentioned this earlier, but everyone who is in the Atlantic League in terms of staff and front offices is unbelievably helpful. I've talked to pretty much every GM now, um, some presidents, some owners, just random staff have reached out on LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram. And anytime I have a question, Someone is there to answer it immediately. And I think that is so cool. And I love that so much because when you're in the affiliated bubble, you have that as well, mm-hmm. but it's kind of different because they don't have to worry about the same problems. And these are new problems to worry about, but there haven't been any real challenges yet. And I think that is due to the fact that our front office has just worked their butts off trying to make this happen and, and learn what are good practices for Atlantic league clubs and what works and what doesn't work on the success side. I think that it wasn't really a surprise, I was just super excited to see how supportive our fans were when this news came out. You know, and I think the other really cool thing was there are a lot of fans in the indie ball community who came onto our social media and were answering questions for our fans, explaining how things work. I thought that was really cool. It was a really unique cohesiveness that came out from, you know, the Facebook groups and people are just really excited about this and calling and asking a thousand questions. And, uh, you know, that's like the best possible scenario, right? Exactly. Yeah. And this community is just so welcoming and accepting. I mean, when we both first started our individual projects before they kind of merged in a sense with the podcast, it was very much teams, fans, everyone was just very eager to help you. And I mean, I could go on and on about how great the community has been to us, but I think we, we all kind of know that it is certainly uh, a very helpful and welcoming community. And that is something that it, you're very grateful for. And uh, with in that sense here, another question that I got from some people on social media was if you had any advice to people looking to get into the business of sports or just the sports business in general here. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I got into the business kind of out of 
someone pushed me into it. Mm. You know, I started out working in minor league hockey in Binghamton, New York, the Binghamton Senators at the time, now the farm team of the Devils, as we all talk about. But, you know, I learned what it meant to work in sports and the grind of calling 100 people a day and having, you know, 99 of them say no and hang up on you or having weird stuff. And uh, a friend of mine dragged me down to the baseball winter meeting that fall, 2010, it was in Orlando, and said, you know, I've got an extra room. All you got to do is book your flight, come down. We can just interview, see what's out there. You love baseball, all that stuff. And I said, okay. And I ended up connecting with the Binghamton Mets general manager, who I somewhat knew from the same city kind of situation. And it was a grind. You know, it was looking back on it. There was eight of us full time running a double A team and you did everything. I was there 730 every day until, you know, midnight, 1 a.m. every night. And I loved it. And so the biggest takeaway that I've learned from this now is I think Pete Fish said this on his interview with you guys that, you know, the doors don't lock at five o'clock. Right. Yep. And that is so true because the biggest thing that I tell people in the industry is work and grind. Be ready to work. You know, you're not going to get hired to be just the guy who tweets and they're not going to pay you a hundred thousand dollars here to do that. You have to show up and you have to go through the motions and pull tarp and make hot dogs and, you know, push snow off the field when you have to and make sales calls and just be ready and, and be willing to do anything in the industry. I've been the mascot. I've cooked food. I have dragged to the field. I have caught a bullpen, weirdly enough. I've done play by play broadcasting, PA, DJ, taking tickets. There's nothing that we don't do. And so the biggest piece of advice is just be open to it. It's such a unique industry. It's not just because I love baseball, but it's because I want to provide experiences. When I was a kid, I went to Yankee Stadium with my dad all the time. We had season tickets. And I can still remember the weird smells and sounds of that stadium. And, you know, even now when I hear like watching Yankee game, I hear the PC Richards jingle. I get excited because I like to be able to provide that experience for our fans and the next generation of of Legends fans who come into the ballpark and remember all those experiences. And so we look for people who want to make experiences count. And that's a huge piece. The other part of it is just networking. Everyone, you know, goes online now and they LinkedIn message you or they send you an email, they fill out the teamwork online application and that's it. There's no follow up. There's no, Hey, I met you at the winter meetings or Hey, I met you at this, you know, conference or I saw you speak here, or whatever. You, you got to have that relationship because the industry is so it's just so saturated with employees right now and people who want to get jobs because of all this change that you kind of have to stand out now to, to really fight for your spot. Yeah, absolutely there. And I know like the way I always refer to LinkedIn is it's if you want to feel like you were productive without actually doing anything. Like that's totally. the only time I ever use LinkedIn is I'm like, I feel like I should be doing something more productive today. Let me go and update that. And we, we, we talk about that here all the time with our salespeople is, is exactly what you said. If you want to just do something to check the box and do it, hey, I messaged him on LinkedIn. Great. It never worked. It's never once, you've never sold anything on LinkedIn ever in your life. That's it. Exactly. And there's just so much to be said about having a personal connection that it makes it just, it makes everything just better and makes everything go smoother. And one thing that I also want to point out here, which I don't think we've talked about all too much in, in each of our interviews, whenever this comes up, is that I think a lot of people may be reluctant to leave just a geographic area where they're comfortable in. And if you want to work in sports or you want to work in media or you want to work in anything that's a highly competitive field like that, you got to be willing to move. It's just the reality of the situation. Uh, if you're not willing to do that, then either you don't want it that much or 
you have to be really, really, really good. And even then, it's still a crapshoot. It is. And it's, you know what? It's, <laughs> you, you say that I've lived in Binghamton, I've lived in Lexington, Kentucky, I live in Boulder, Colorado. I am from the Upper East Side of Manhattan, right? Yeah. So for me, when I was a kid, I thought for sure, you know, I'm going to run the Yankees one day. Or if you ask my father, I thought I was going to sell hot dogs at Yankee Stadium, one of the two. <laughs> and now I do both. And so it's, you know, you have to be willing to adapt. You have to be willing to move and try things. You know, it's funny when you talk to other executives in baseball, and especially in minor league baseball, very few people have just been in one place for 20 years, right? They've been, yeah. you know, through six or seven teams. They've worked in concessions and media and grounds and everything you can think of. And I think that's the biggest thing is the flexibility. If you can be flexible and you can say, hey, maybe I've never been to this random place before, but I want to go work there. That's great because you know what? Honestly, when you're starting out in this business, you're not really going to be having free time to go anywhere else anyway. So yeah. it's living at the ballpark and that's it. And, and you can tell early on when working in sports who really wants to be a part of it. Now, I'm sure other sports are different. I've never worked in the NBA or the MLS or anything like that. But in, in minor league baseball, it is truly about the passion and being willing to not just check out at five o'clock because that's when, you know, the workday ends or not just showing up as soon as work starts. But it's, you know, I'm usually one of the first guys here when the last to leave. That's how I am. I'm always yep. working because I love it. And I truly wake up knowing that my job and my space is to be in baseball. And that's kind of the best part of the whole thing. Yep, absolutely. there. And so I guess with that, I'm just about out of questions here. So I'm not sure, Will, if you have anything else left to add. I know we I've been talking for a while here now. So I wanted to see if you had anything else to add here. <laughs> I have one more for you, Jesse. Obviously, the Atlantic League was was in the news plenty in 2019 because of all the new rules, and that's going to be returning in some capacity uh, during the 2021 season. You had the automated uh, balls and strikes. You had um, you had the the stealing first rule. Uh, you had the, the the pickoff rule where you had to completely disengage from the rubber. But first of all, are you ready to watch those rules and, and see the automatic strike zone in play at? Um, uh, in Lexington, and how do you think the fan? How do you think the fans in, in Lexington are going to react to it? You know, it's perfect that you said that. We should edit the whole thing about marketing because that's a huge piece of the marketing for us as well, right? It's like, hey, you're going to see baseball, but you're also going to see some wacky stuff. Like, you're going to have this automatic strike zone. You're going to wonder why the umpire has an AirPod in, or you're going to, you know, the bases are different, or stealing first and, and pitch clocks, whatever it is each year, right? Yeah. I think that's so much fun. Like, I love baseball. I'm a baseball purist. I'm that guy who, you know, thinks everything should be the original form of baseball. But I'm also the guy who suffered through, like, four-and-a-half-hour Yankee games as a kid. So, like, you know, I think if you're going to be in those time frames, and I'm the person who loves every pitch, but not everyone does, you can see those cool, unique things here. It's going to be different. It's going to make you ask questions. And it's going to give our staff a chance to interact with our fans more and more in explaining things. And we're going to be able to do some educational videos with our players and have some fun with it. So that is really exciting to me. Like that is, it's going to be fun. I don't know how it's going to work. There's a bunch of things in the pipeline. I've heard rumors of rules. I've heard rumors of all kinds of changes. I'm ready. Bring it all on. Let's go. We're, we're ready for all of it. Yeah, that, 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 that sounds good. And I know, uh, um, I know, I'm very intrigued to see what, what rules, uh, have started to come out. Especially, it's funny because after all the, all the madness of the, of the 2020 baseball season that, uh, of course ended up not happening, 
for the Atlantic League. It, it's almost like everyone forgot that, like, or, or even that the uh, the teams relocating and the leagues moving around, and it just seemed like the rules, like everyone just forgot about it. Like that was like the, the biggest story, and yeah. uh, and 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 now and now everyone kind of just forgot about it. And even even with teams that, of course, the Atlantic League still. Um, I mean, mystery team X that we've been, we've been hinting at and Lexington coming in and, you know, there, there's still rules. So, uh, so you think from at least from, from the legends perspective that that's on you guys to really help educate the fans and get them excited, uh, for rules that maybe they, they've never seen before and can't see anywhere else. I think that's, you know, I think I brought it up earlier. Education is so important for us in terms of. What is the Atlantic League? What is partner ball? What does this mean? You know, how come I saw this guy play here yesterday and now he's playing in the majors, hopefully, right? Yeah. So it's also a way to generate content. And I think from a marketing side of things, when you are in that off-season spring training mode, it's so easy just to like hit retweet on like a spring training post of your affiliated team or your favorite player or your former player, right? Yeah. For us, content is so important. It's how to keep the fans engaged, how to keep everything going, how to sell tickets, how to move the needle. So being able to use this as an as a nice kind of lesson on what it means to be in the partner league and what it means specifically to be in the partner league, like the first partner league, the Atlantic League, is really cool. And then I think on top of that, when you add in the rules piece of it, you can really engage and, and you can talk to the fans about it. And, you know, <laughs> I know a lot of fans that we have are very dedicated and they do a lot of research and they're, they know better, right? And so... A lot of them have reached out to us and they've looked into these rules and they've asked questions already and said, this is really cool. How is this going to work? What does this mean? And so we're really excited about that. Like I, I can just envision our broadcasts going through these and having player interviews and doing all kinds of tutorial videos. And I always want to do those cheesy like tutorial videos from when we're kids and stuff. And so yeah. we've got some ideas in the works and it's going to be fun. And because you know what? At the end of the day, it's still professional baseball and there's still a chance you're going to see someone hitting, you know, just absolute dingers out of this ballpark or, who knows what? It's going to be great, right? And I, I guess, um, I, I guess that I, I don't, I don't think I have any more questions left, Nick. I don't know if you have, if you have anything else left to add before we let Jesse go. Uh, no, I'm pretty much set here. Uh, but yeah, no, baseball needs to be fun, and then obviously we always wind up ending off interviews by giving whoever we're talking to a couple minutes at the end, you know, three, five minutes, something like that to promote anything they want to promote, say anything they want to say that maybe we didn't get to clarify anything, anything like that. If, if you want to do that, then the floor is yours. Time to do that is now. Boys, I have no idea what I said, so I can't clarify anything, but I, I appreciate you guys having me on here. I love doing this stuff. Like I said, during, you know, before we started recording, you want me on every week, I'll come on every week and, and make something up. I did appreciate that you somehow filtered out some of the fan questions. I noticed there were a lot of questions in regards to my hair and my headshot. I won't go through that. Yeah. Looked like one of my fans was asking about Aaron Hicks. We won't even go down that road. There was a someone making fun of me about my bullpen catching ability. That was scary. <laughs> so I think we've pretty much checked all the boxes, you know. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate it. I hope that legends can do the Atlantic League justice and, and bring out some unbelievable baseball and some, you know, fun promotions and, and keep it going. And just, you know, at the end of the year, we think our biggest goal is for people to look back and not even remember that it was a switch from affiliate. We just want to continue to do what we did. Obviously, there's some global factors out there and we're going to, you know, hope that that continues to make progress and go away and that when it's all said and done, we can have 250 to 300,000 fans in the ballpark this summer and we can play a lot of games and maybe win a championship and go through buying rings again. 
and yeah. uh, maybe people on our own bucks, Jeff. Yeah, no, we hope to have all that happen. And, you know, we also try to strive to, uh, you know, get the best out of every question. You know, uh, sometimes we get, <laughs> we got a lot of fun questions too. Uh, so <laughs> I seem to be, I was getting a lot of, uh, a lot of haters out there on the social media coming at me from my office. It seems like I, I think our, our baseball operations manager, who's a former pitcher, yeah. that actually played for us this summer. He was making fun of my bullpen session. I think the owner of our team was calling out my hairdo. So, I mean, a lot going on here. I got to watch out for. Hey, look, they're just jealous of all that. I mean, I know. Think of it like that. why else would they be pointing it out? I mean, the only thing missing was my fiance coming in and attacking me somehow. So I think it was good. It was a good interview, boys. I think we did well here. Yeah, I think it was wonderful. And we'd also love to have you back again when we get closer to the season. I mean, like, if you. Anytime you want, you just, you got my number, call me, text me. I'm in. Yeah, no, we definitely will. We'll definitely have you back on again. We appreciate you coming on and doing all this. Absolutely good. Yeah, right. So again, we'd like to thank Jesse for coming on the show. And normally we'd go, uh, we'd be happy to have him back on any time here. But given the news around West Virginia, we're going to have him back on well, next week. So we're going to be talking to him in back-to-back weeks. I think he's the first guest we've ever had do that. And unless we're still counting Will as a guest, even though yeah. I don't really consider him a guest I anymore. I was just about to say. Yeah. I, was, I, was ju- I was just about to say that he's probably the first non-AOPB news guest. Uh, yeah. to, to appear on the Indie Ball Report in two consecutive weeks, which I guess has now turned into like ten consecutive weeks or however many. I don't know. I don't keep track. Yeah, no, it's it's been a while. It's probably pushing. It's probably going more than ten, to be quite honest with you. Point is, uh, he's our first repeat I mean, guest. Yes. So it's it, it's interesting because we had. I think I, I can speak for you as well, Nick. That yep. we had no idea. Like we all ha- kind of knew that West Virginia was coming in. If you it, coming into the league, if you couldn't tell, but we kept referencing, you know, unknown team X during the interview. That we all kind of that, that everyone was kind of in agreement yeah. that it was West Virginia. However, we had no idea that the own that the ownership group uh, with that's that r- currently runs the Lexington Legends was also going to hop over. Uh, to also help run the West Virginia Power, and of course Jesse Jesse being part of that as well. So I think that's a it's a very unique situation that we did not see coming, and I I know I will have plenty of questions for him about that next week when we talk about the West Virginia Power. Exactly, and I mean again, it's going to be interesting too to see kind of the contrast there. Obviously, you have the same upper brass there, Andy Shea with Jesse and the rest mm-hmm. that will be running both teams now and there's going to be a bit of a different approach i imagine between lexington kentucky and west virginia uh in charleston there obviously the general manager position still remains the same here uh we'll talk more about uh west virginia in just a little bit here but i feel like we should go over the interview just a bit before we really uh start digging into the rest of the show and i will say uh, I think it went fairly like we thought. We get kind of expected that they were going to explore other options before they wound up going to the Atlantic League. Uh, that was being really the American Association Frontier League. I know he said we considered college ball for all of about 30 seconds before we kind of rolled it yeah. out. And, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, just given the community and the ballpark and the assets they have, it's really not built for uh, college ball in the summer. Plus, I imagine if that's an option for fans this 
more established teams yeah. around there too. It is a professional market at the end of the day here. And, uh, obviously we asked, uh, or at least I remember asking about like, Oh, you know, are there any target dates here for when we're going to start seeing the roster take shape here? And, uh, it's like, Oh, no dates, but it'll be coming soon, probably in March. And, you know, it's not March today, but at least we're recording, not. at least we're recording after they, you know, dropped about a third of their roster on us. Mm-hmm. At the moment. Uh, so, we, we are currently recording. Uh, it is now 5.13 Eastern Time on Friday, February 26th. And uh, there have been 11 Atlantic League signings today. I've, I've already analyzed two on my Instagram. I have nine more to do. So I, I cannot wait. I, I was thinking it would be, at least from Lexington, they would have like one big bombshell they would drop. But then I also didn't know they were going to just drop an avalanche of of eight guys. And to be honest with you, if you asked me who were the eight guys that signed, I could probably tell you about three because it was such a blur. And uh, then there's some, there's some familiar names, as you know, Somerset fans. Uh, they're Liam O'Sullivan, one of Somerset's best pitchers from the 2019 team, uh, is one of those signings. And so I'm sure they will, if, well, I, I know there's plenty of Somerset fans that still listen and are still uh, invested in indie ball, so they'll definitely know know that name as well as well as York fans who will know Rob Carson uh, and Red Sox fans who will know Henry Owens, uh, who had a lot of potential coming up with the Boston Red Sox back in the in the in the mid 2010s that did not pan out, but uh, we'll, we'll see what he can do in indie ball. But I, I guess. I did not expect it to be this soon, and I certainly did not expect it to be eight people dropping at once. So I guess that was unexpected as well. It, yeah, it wasn't expected. Uh, I'm not sure if I'd say it's unexpected, though, because, I mean, I feel like they're almost doing this to play games with us now, where it's like a little bit of a misdirect here. Uh, but Fair enough. either way, I'll be happy with it. And I will say one thing on those Lexington signings is that it seems like they're going for a bit of that Somerset strategy where it's, we're just going to go all in on pitching and say YOLO on the, uh, batting aspect of it. Although supposedly right. there's going to be, uh, a one or two bats that will, you know, ring a, ring a bell as far as name wise goes. So, you know, I'm going to throw it out there right now. I want to see it be like Adam Dunn or something. Adam Dunn. Isn't Adam Dunn like 40 something? And that's going to stop him. Lou Ford's in his 40s. I mean, yeah, but... I mean, sure, Adam, difference Adam is there, Dunn, but... Adam Dunn was a much better player than Lou Ford was in the big leagues. Oh, disrespecting Lou Ford. I'm sorry, you know, I it's love true. I mean, it's true. I'm not going to say it's not, but... Eh, oh, well, he's 41. I mean, Adam Dunn only played until he was 34 in the bigs, so... You know, I'm I just guess. saying, the comeback's on. I don't think Dude, it's... Can, can you imagine? It would be fun. It would be fun. It would be fun be really fun but uh, regardless yeah i i also liked how we talked about the battle of the bourbon trail there and how the roster was mainly assembled via like instagram and locals and whatnot and how it really was kind of like a trial run for going to partner ball even though again and i will die on this hill the branding of partnership league baseball is terrible like at least call it association baseball or something like that like, yeah. I get it. You want to really highlight, look, we're kind of like cousins with Major League Baseball now. I get it. I understand that. But, my God, this partnership ball just suck as far as the name go. I mean, it, it really does. is it, bad. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't ring. It doesn't, like, roll off the tongue very well. I will say that. Exactly. It's just not. 
it doesn't really work. Uh, it, it needs a better name, but uh, regardless yeah. that, I also liked uh, how he was talking about how PJ kind of holds a unofficial advisor role, where he's kind of like giving advice on how to navigate the whole independent league landscape. I thought that sure. was very interesting too. Um, uh, there's a couple other things here that I had written down here, but I suppose uh, I'll let you chime in here so that way I'm not hogging up all the time here. Yeah, so I, my favorite part of the interview, I personally, in my mind, it wasn't all that close, just because that's how much I loved uh, this part of the interview, was when we talked about the process of be, of losing their affiliation with minor league baseball. Mm. This is... It's something that we've heard so much about this uh, this fall, this summer, and I guess and I've I've never really been able to talk to. I know you interviewed the um, the the Salem Kaiser CEO, yeah. uh, but I, I know, so I know you you've had this conversation. But to me, it was really interesting to hear about he he did because he didn't shy away from it. He didn't say like, oh well, they just decided to go in another direction and. You know, it is what it is. He, he was honest about it. He said, listen, Lexington's a great market, great ballpark, great fan base, and with w- w- some great history of baseball in Lexington, and we were pissed off. Uh, I mean, the, and, and we, we, were, we were really pissed off, and we didn't understand why. And, of course, there's other things that factor into it that are more just than, than just the facilities. For example, I think uh, as far as who owns the ballpark, Lexington is uh, – is privately owned and privately operated and not owned by the parent club, which you see in some other markets, which shielded them in a lot of cases from contraction. And Lexington w- was not one of those teams. I just appreciated that, that exchange because it really, you really get the other side of a team that obviously hope to, hope to still be a minor league team and affiliated team as they've been uh, for years now. But I mean, it, it, although it does seem like they're very excited about this transition to the Atlantic League, and I will say it, it does seem like the fan base, I guess more than any other fan base that I've seen, is really embracing indie ball, I think, more than more than any others I've seen, which is which gives me a lot of hope as far as the market continuing to be as good as it was in affiliated ball as they make the transition into indie ball in, in the same sense that we haven't seen a lot of teams uh, be successful in that transition. It gives me hope that Lexington can be one of those success stories because there's more coming. There, there's more coming. We obviously have West Virginia this year. We have Kane County up uh, in the American association. We have tri city in the frontier league. There's more teams on the way that are, they're going to be in this similar uh, similar position coming into the Atlantic League soon uh, so in the net within the next couple of years. Of course, you're talking Hagerstown. You're talking probably Staten Island, and, and we'll we'll see where it goes from there. But it, it it does give me hope as far as the fan base. They do seem really excited about moving into the Atlantic League, and that that gives me hope. Yeah, it certainly does. I did like that a lot too. I appreciate the honesty from it. I do like how you know he was saying you were annoyed when the first article came out in November. And the implication of it being that this market wasn't good enough, the ballpark wasn't good enough, the facilities weren't good, the travel was too difficult, all these other things. And, you know, it shows a lot of pride in that community as a whole, because when you get down to it, a lot of these teams are, well, they're community assets, they're driven by the community, they represent the communities that they're in. And so it really was kind of like a shot across the bow at that. 
I also do like uh, the, the bit of career advice section. I enjoyed that too, how it's, you have to do a, a step beyond what's required of you. If you want to succeed from it, you have to be willing to branch out and do different things and be just kind of willing to, you know, work from sunrise to sunset. I thought that was a good section of it too. But the part that I think I liked the, the most was just talking about, you know, marketing the team going forward. You know, what are, what are some of those ways you're going to change it? And saying how the game day experience and the marketing has to be somewhat educational. It has to be getting people to, know the difference between affiliated and unaffiliated ball know that we're going to be doing a little bit different rules and getting people adapted to that and knowing what to expect when they come to the ballpark and that was something that was interesting to me and certainly also the elimination of a lot of the red tape uh when he was talking about that how it's just not having to go get approval and not have to kick up the ticket fees and deal with the travel arrangements and everything that are you know subject to major league baseball and their clubs and just all of that and then being able to sell a more like a higher quality talent is how i wrote it down here but i suppose it's just more of a more developed a more experienced talent if you want to put it in a nicer way and just getting more local guys in here which we did see with some of those signings today i mean you had a a, at least one guy from university of kentucky another guy from uh, the university of louisville so You know, you had some more local guys, and I really, I mean, I'm curious to see how this, how this team is going to do. I feel confident in it succeeding. It'll be very interesting to see uh, how they are in, say, five years. I think that's really the the window you look at. You have your three year plan, a five year, and a ten year plan, and then you kind of go from there. Uh, but I'm, I'm definitely going to be curious to see at the end of this kind of a great expansion period. Uh, which one of these clubs, mainly being, you know, the West Virginia, Lexington, and Gastonia ones, which ones of them? come out to be the most successful and the best uh in the best shape here i had a handful of other things here but i think i could just generally summarize uh all of them by saying he seems to be very optimistic uh for the future of the team and going forward and being in the atlantic league and all that that requires and everything he seems to have a really good grip on everything and is definitely uh excited to get going into the atlantic league and i will say we do need to start making a Lexington v. Gastonia, Long Island, High Point, and anyone else rivalry going. I think we need to do our best to throw fuel onto the fire of that. Absolutely. And, and certainly if there are individuals or an individual show out there that's good at throwing uh, fuel onto the fire, I think it would be this one. Yeah, I, we, uh, we're not in the business of making making peace and getting everyone to be buddy buddy with each other we're not we are we are not the playing the role of the peacemakers that's for sure i know that doesn't peace doesn't sell very well but drama sells it very doesn't. well so that's that's where we're at so uh with that said uh we look forward to talking to jesse again next week about west virginia and on that note we are about to talk more about west virginia which uh, officially joined the atlantic league on wednesday as we all kind of expected, as none of us expected, though, uh, Andy Shea now owns the team. And a bit of a plot twist. Uh, Jesse will wind up being the COO. I believe Wilcox was the former owner of the team. Uh, he's going to stay on in a minority ownership role. Uh, we also know that Mark Minikazi will be the manager. Found that out like the night before it came out. Uh, I think uh, I teased it a bit, and I believe then when I told you that, then you started teasing it a bit, and then everyone started guessing as to who it could be. And, uh, yeah, no one got it right. No one got it right. But I just want to point out, we did have that information right. There's a couple people that were skeptical of us actually having the information and thought we were just blowing smoke, but we were right on that. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, you're talking about uh, Minikaze or uh, yeah, Minikaze. You're talking about West Virginia. No, no, I'm talking about Minikaze in general. Because I had so- I had someone who DM'd me and saying, "Oh, I know, I know who the eighth team in, and it's not, and it's not West Virginia." I'm like, "Okay, guy, who? Then, yeah, who is uh, it? Then, 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 then who is it? And he's like, can't say. It's top secret. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, that's okay. it, yeah. Oh, okay. Exactly. I, mean, yeah. it's like, I only had three or four different people all tell me it's going to be West Virginia and have been telling no. me this for months. But I'm sure mystery team will yeah, will definitely win out the day, you know. But, uh, I know, for sure. I, but yeah, so West Virginia is another uh, South Atlantic League team. It seems to be all the former South Atlantic League cities are getting picked up by the Atlantic League. So in a sense, they're still an Atlantic League city. Uh, regardless of that, though, I am curious about West Virginia. And the reason why I'm curious about it is when you start doing like research into it, it seems like a very nice ballpark. It's very new too. It's built in like 04, opened in 05. So it's not old by any stretch. And what gets me though is they just never drew. Like they were third worst in the South Atlantic League. It wasn't even particularly close. They were like 200 or so back. If not for Hackardstown drawing less than a thousand, they'd be second to last. It seemed like it was a case of they don't know, or at least previous ownership didn't know how to market the team and get people into the ballpark because it's in the city of Charleston. So it should be easy enough to get people to go to the ballpark. I would imagine that now you have a group of people that clearly know how to get people into the ballpark, judging by Lexington's numbers. And now just from talking with everybody over there, they know how to, you know, get people interested and in there. I'm just going to be very interested to see if you can repeat that in West Virginia, where clearly there have been attendance issues. The numbers bear that out. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that at least when I heard that the Atlantic League was uh, really trying to go to, uh, to the West Virginia power, listen, all these issues that, that you talked about, Nick, can be solved uh, by by marketing. It can be solved by a, a new and better ownership group that, that knows how to market. So all these problems by, by no means are permanent or, or can't be solved. However, it is a fact that it, it's not like they were once – this isn't a Staten Island situation where they were once back in earlier in the decade – they were drawing 5,000 high fours, like low 5,000 fans a night. They've always been kind of around this little over 2,000 and starting to dip under uh, as, as we moved along in the decade. And to me, that's the ballpark looks nice. I, I'm with you. The ballpark looks nice. I'm, there's absolutely a reason that Marshall and West Virginia have been using it for different college baseball games and their big games they've been using that that park for so it absolutely seems like that ballpark is great and the facilities they're pretty good as well i just question i guess the market because it it doesn't seem like they draw very well mm-hmm. uh, and i don't know i mean i don't really know a whole lot about charleston west virginia you just hope that they're able to market a lot a lot better than i guess the the previous ownership group did however they didn't draw, but they did. But they do consistently draw one particular fan. Nick, do you know who that one particular fan is? I do not. The Toast Man. Now I'm did, intrigued. Have you, you have not heard about the Toast Man? I have not heard about the Toast Man. I need to know more about the Toast Man, though. Okay, so the Toast he's he's the West Virginia version of Minor Man. Oh God! Except 
he basically has like a section he sits in behind the opposing the opposing dugout, the visiting dugout. Okay. And and he basically just shit talks the uh, the opposing players the whole game. But he it's not like it's not like drunk guy rambling like you suck like it, yeah. it, it's actually well researched well thought out shit talk and <laughs> and i've had multiple i've had multiple players tell me yeah. about how how uh how this guy i believe his name is rod blackstone i want to say his, his name is it sounds because I know I had I had I was talking to Giovanni Alfonso and like yeah. uh, and, and I know I think Sal Giardina, uh, the new the new Ducks yeah, catcher, yeah. Uh, was talking about it as well. That because it, it, to me it's I don't find it that entertaining when fans are like like drunk out of their minds and just yeah, yelling just, random yeah. garbage. Like, however, it apparently looks like that this guy that he is well he knows what you've done in your last ten games. He knows how you hit in that ballpark. He knows what kind of season you're having, and it, apparently, if you start to if you start to get pissed off, he just turns it up. And oh god! He has, so it's like he had this whole part where it's like the 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 toast section or whatever it's called. And however, apparently, it sounds like he is a super nice guy, and all like the opposing <laughs> players are like friends with him after the game and go grab a beer with him. <laughs> I'm serious. So what? So like this dude is just like, hey, twenty three, you batted one thirty seven in this ballpark over your last twenty appearances. Get a new yeah. job. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. And so, I I'm really interested to learn more about this guy specifically oh, in an Atlantic League setting. I think I need to reach out to him and start like, start talking to him a little bit. Honestly, I kind of want to have this guy on the show. <laughs> it's just like, you know, I I think we. Hmm. That sounds like a sounds like a pretty good idea. Like, what, if we, what if we run that? What if we run that by? We could run that by Jesse next week. You act like I wasn't planning on this. About uh, about running this. About this toast yeah, I'd be like, so Jesse, I know you're new over in West Virginia here, but what's the deal with this toast guy? Yeah. So the, apparently, like, I, I think if you there's like a whole section like if you just like when i was looking at the west virginia power like the, the basics of it like the wikipedia yeah. page there is a whole section dedicated to the toast man on the wikipedia page got, like them justifies I'm putting a team in this market serious. to begin with just I'm having the toast serious man. and so oh my God. this is yeah yeah rod, rod blackstone <laughs> is his name because oh basically um Okay, so this is what Giovanni Alfonso said. I mean, he's a great guy. I'm, I'm sure he has no problem with yeah. with me with me reading this. Yeah. Uh, but he's a super fan. I met when I was with the Marlins and the Mets in the South Atlantic League. We all knew him. He's an awesome guy, and he goes to every game with a toaster and bread and every stat and evidence from and talks about every stat and evidence from players' social medias on each player. Shit talks players like no other. If you go up there in a slump. They let they let you know it's oh actually awesome, but after the games he'll usually go out at one of the sports bars and will buy the opposing players a beer or some food for being a good sport about it. <laughs> and the more the players laugh at him, the better he gets at shit talking. But if you actually oh get bad, he just buries you. <laughs> oh my god! Like I just imagine showing up to one game and going, "Hey, twelve! I know you had to sell your scion to make your divorce payment." <laughs> That's probably exactly what it's like. I mean, I'm sorry, and I'm sorry ben, to go on about Ben two twenty, and you had to sell your F one fifty. It's been a rough week for you. 
instead of get ready for a new job selling real estate or something like that. Work on your real I mean, estate license with an ERA of four fifty. You better. Because <laughs> that, I mean, that's the, that's the type of talk you like to hear because it's actually well thought out and well researched, yeah. not just like random garbage. Yeah, that like you, when you, you first drink said four beers. Yeah, when you first said this, I was like, oh, was it's like some Henry, like some Hunter Pence type thing where it's like Hunter Pence Whoa. reuses his toothbrush or something. But no, yeah. this is actually well thought out. This guy's like the night before a game when there's a new team coming and he's just breaking out the notebook going, all right, we need to just make every note here. Yeah. No, I, I know. So apparently the Toast Man is a massive deal with the West Virginia Power. And although they don't draw, they have not drawn many fans recently, the Toast Man is always there. Yeah, uh, the Toast Man's worth it enough. And quite frankly, I want to get this guy on the show now, to be quite honest. But <laughs> we have so many interviews we got to do. At I this know. Point, I still man. need to reach out to Ty Kelly too. Oh yeah, because I'm dead serious. I want Ty Kelly on the show. But you know, what? I, I think there's a good shot he comes on. We'll see. I, legitimately, I really do. Which I think then he'd be our first like major leaguer to have on. <laughs> but is he? Yeah, I don't think I've. Not not even a manager or somebody who used to play. So. I don't. Things? I don't think so. Like thinking through, I don't. I'm trying to think here. I don't think we have. No, no, I don't think so. But in any case, yeah, the point rings. We got a lot of people to reach out to, but uh, I guess to kind of wrap up on West Virginia, uh, I do think a lot of their issues can be fixed. Certainly, they've also managed to keep baseball there pretty consistently since the mid to early '80s too. So while they may be small, they seem pretty dedicated. But I would like to see the uh, attendance number go up a bit because. Where it sits today, if it remains there, it would put them as a last in the Atlantic League. And I understand that someone has to be last here, but if the bottom like three or four, or at least all at like 2,500 to 3,000, it's like, okay, well, that's fine. And I grant you, sure, there's a lot of Atlantic League teams and really across all minor league baseball teams that really fudge their attendance numbers a bit. It's kind of oh, an open absolutely. secret. Like, we all have been at a ball games where we're like, they announced the attendance for this was 2,500, but I can count about 900. And even if I'm missing about 200, that's still a far cry from 2,500. So, like, I understand that, but I mean, if everyone's doing it, affiliated minor leagues do it too. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's still an issue, but uh, regardless. Yeah, it's definitely an issue. And I know a couple of teams that certainly do it. I will not name names. Yeah. I mean, I assume like every team does it. I mean, it's kind to of an like, extent. yeah, it's kind of like speeding where everyone's sped at some point in their life. So it's not really that, it's not that uncommon to be like, oh yeah, they're, they usually go 10 over in this 35, but any case, it'll be interesting to watch West Virginia and see how they develop, and we'll have more to say uh, on next week's show about West Virginia, but we can move on now to the schedule release, which we also got on Wednesday, which took us a bit by surprise, because I was told Thursday was schedule release day, and then, well, it was a day earlier, but I'll take it. Uh, it's a 120-game slate, 60-60, and 60, so 60 home, 60 away. Two division winners will play for the championship. At least that's kind of what it looks like because there's only one week budgeted for playoffs. Season yep. starts May 27th, and that is Gastonia playing, uh, I believe it's Lancaster there. So yep. interesting setup there. Um, yeah, I'll turn over to the Atlantic League guy to talk more about that. 
Yeah, you know, you know, I, I kind of like giving Gastonia their own stage on opening night. Mm. Like to me, it, it makes it seem kind of cool, just so everybody can kind of tune in and and watch Gastonia play that that first night. So to me, I actually kind of like it, uh, even though it's even though it's not like the like you know the, the, the classic yeah. championship or whatever. It, it's it's not it's not normal, but I, I kind of don't mind it. Mm-hmm. I know I think I think 2019 I think Sugarland played by themselves the first night against Southern Maryland and Southern Maryland drilled them. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I will say I, I kind of like the, the, simp- the simplicity of the, of the schedule. And personally, I, even though we're sacrificing maybe one playoff series, I'm not a, exactly opposed to it just because of how late the season starting. And I do love the fact that they're going so far into October and they're still playing a 120 game season. I mean, that's, of course, it's not 140, but given the fact that all the things that are working against you as far as the pandemic and stuff like that, to get a 120 game season out of that is, is awesome. It, oh, it's absolutely. Awesome. And especially, so, yeah, because it's October 15th that the regular season ends, right? Or is it? Yep. The, okay. I knew it was yeah. around uh, between 11 and 15, but. Yeah, sure. yeah. So it, it, that, that I'm really excited about. I'm really excited to see. Atlantic League baseball and and especially with these teams that let's call spade to spade here they they need to remake they need to make up some money after after not playing after most of them didn't play at all last season so at the end of the day they really need those home dates so I I, I don't mind doing 120 games uh, and really extending as far as you possibly can into October. Uh, and, and I guess it's not as big of a problem in considering the league is more uh, is more southern based than it's ever been before in its history. I mean, you'll get some cold games in Long Island, but I guess it, it's manageable in, in most in most other places. So I, I guess that's not the worst thing either. But it, it, it is kind of crazy to think about how Long Island is the outlier. That oh, just yeah, it, based on like Atlantic League history, that's bizarre. Oh, it definitely is to see them as like the lone team there that's now part of the punt out on an island by themselves. It's yeah. just really, it's really weird. Although the divisional setup is pretty much what we thought it was, where it's both uh, Pennsylvania team, Southern Maryland, Long Island in the north, everybody else in the south. And what's weird is the south division now has three entirely new teams and High Point that only has one season under their belt. Dude, High Point's the veteran of the south division. I mean, to be fair, that's like saying there's a veteran on the New York Rangers. It's like, yeah, but the veteran's that's 25. That's a good point. So, I mean... That, that's a good point. It still is wild to think about, though. So, you mm-hmm. know... Uh, what I will say though is, I don't necessarily expect it to stay that way long. We already know about expansion. I think at this point, our Staten Island seems to be pretty much a lock in for 22, if not 23 at the latest. So there will be another northern team. I imagine we'll see Haggardstown at some point, which would be, I don't want to call it really northern, but it's certainly like solidly mid-Atlantic. Yes. Um, which will help so that's two but there's still kind of two mystery teams out there uh from what we can kind of tell i don't think they're going to get too crazy with other places here but i do wonder about tri-city because there's something that doesn't sit right with me about tri-city in the frontier league because i mean Incognito is bringing in his guys as much as he can with the roster restrictions there it's only a three-year agreement in the frontier league i do know that because 
if you would have went like I assume Lexington took money from Major League Baseball to go into the Atlantic League. Same thing with West Virginia because that was part of the deal. But if you took that money, you waived any right to sue the major leagues or their clubs or anything like that for the way that the whole affiliation deal was handled. And supposedly that was part of the reason Tri-City didn't go to the Atlantic League was because they didn't want to waive their right to sue. Now, that's just what I kind of hear. I don't know if that's the actual conditions, but it does make sense. It's logically sound. So I do wonder if, say, three years from now, when that agreement with the Frontier League's up, you already have a dude that's, you know, Atlantic League experience. The whole front office and everything gets the indie ball experience for three years to get everything under their belt. I'm sure the Atlantic League would welcome them in with open arms. It puts another team firmly in the north. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's likely to happen, but I will say it does make sense. Yeah, I think it, it it's interesting, right? Because it's definitely super unorthodox. We don't see a whole lot of indie ball to indie ball league to indie ball league movement nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it would it'd really be interesting. And b- before I get into the, what I think about that, about what you just said, Nick, yeah. Juan, Silver- Juan Silverio and Dennis Phipps in the Frontier League, I mean, that's a cheat code. Oh, it is. And you know... That's a cheat code. And they have one more veteran spot. Oh, my goodness. So, Jim Tri-City is going to be a force. Honestly, like, it's going to be... That whole Can-Am conference is going to be really fun to watch. And yeah. Tri-City was with which one of the uh, Tri-State teams? They're with Rockland, right? Yes, with Rockland. Okay, so they're with Rockland there. So, like, they're, they should win their division. I'm going to be very interested to see if it's going to be New Jersey or Sussex coming out of the other division there. And whichever, I kind of want to see it be Sussex County because I think they may be a slightly better put together team because I don't think New Jersey is going to be able to keep all their veterans. I don't think they have enough slots. If they're able to keep them all, oh boy, would New Jersey versus uh, Tri-City be fun? Oh, in a playoff series, that'd be yeah, that'd be incredible. But as far as like Tri City, just regular the season, they're going to run through it. Tri City, I still hold by my my opinion for from a while ago that Tri City would be a great Atlantic League market for sure. I think that, um, and if there's a way they could come to the Atlantic League, I would certainly be I would certainly be all for it. Although the one thing I would bring up as a counterpoint is that. Keaton Cavillia and the Atlantic League are not exactly on great terms. Fair. So, so I don't know if if Keaton Cavillia wanted to stay in the Atlantic League, he could have stayed in the Atlantic League. If he showed Fair. up at the doorstep of Lexington or West Virginia or even Gastonia, they probably would have taken him. Maybe not Lexington because it seemed like they were pretty set on PJ Phillips, but mm-hmm. I think Gastonia. Or uh, West Virginia and Pete Ingevillia said, "I want to manage. I want to manage here." They would have given him the job. Him going to the Frontier League was almost just him saying, "I don't want to manage in the in the Atlantic League anymore. I want to. I, I I don't mind managing an indie ball, but it's not going to be in the Atlantic League because I, I mean, at the end of the day, he was suspended for Game Five of the 2019 Atlantic League Championship Series. So yeah, what was not, all that not, about? Like. Is that the he got, whole... ej- he got ejected the night before? I don't know. Like th- there was, there was, a, there. It wasn't the first time. Like there was some flare-ups there, I guess. But uh-huh. he got ejected in game four, and then he got he, Freddie. Freddie ejected him in game four. Okay. And 
I guess there was just a thing that it was just like, okay, Pete and Cavillia suspended for game five. So either what he must have said was really, really, really bad. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, cause I remember when he, when he threw him out, I remember saying like, come on, Freddie, like seriously, uh, like, it better be really egregious to throw a manager out in a, in a, uh, in a potential championship winning game. Mm. Like that, that's just my view in a playoff game. But I mean, yeah. So I, I think that considering that happened and Pete and Cavillia to me pretty clearly was not interested in managing in the Atlantic league anymore. I don't see how he would fit into that. Uh, and I, if, if he wanted, I don't, I don't see it as Pete and Cavillia saying, Oh, I'm going to manage in the frontier league and try city in this great market. And then we'll get ready to move into the Atlantic league in three years. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I, I, and I see, I really do see your point and I do yeah. see the, uh, the, the evidence you're bringing up, but I don't, I mean, that, that, that would be, it's tough to see, uh, Pete and Cavillia being willing to manage in the Atlantic League again, but I could be wrong. I, I hope mean, I'm like, wrong. it he just brings great teams in there. Like for me, though, it's just like it seems like if that's what's holding you up, it seems like a pretty minor thing. Like to be honest, it's not like it's fresh either. It's been over a year now. It's been nearly two years. Like, well, but he didn't. He didn't go to manage in the Atlantic League then. He true. Still I mean, fair. Fair enough, but I mean, yeah, I guess it makes sense. But it's just an interesting thing there. It's you know, yeah, it's I mean, something worth being brought Pete up. And Ca- Pete and Cavillia doesn't have all the decision making power with Tri City. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, of course, it's it's a front office decision. He can stay or he can go. But uh, but I mean, who's to say he doesn't even wind up saying in, in three years from now if they decide they're going to the Atlantic League, that's the decision they want. Who says he doesn't leave and then goes and uh, manages in the American Association again? That's certainly sure. a possibility. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I, 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 I think, I think that's definitely possible. I can see that happening. Especially if uh, Shop carries through and actually does expand into Texas again. Yeah. It's clear he likes being in Texas. I mean, that's where he spent a lot of the uh, managerial career down there. So I mean, it would yep. make you know it line up. So yeah, it would line up. If it's something interesting to throw out there, why not? Um, yeah. That said, we got like one last real thing to get to today, and it's just some uh, staff signings at this point. Uh, obviously, one of those big names that we were tossed around like, oh, I'm surprised they haven't signed, I'm surprised they haven't signed. They finally signed on to be a manager, and that is George Samus. Obviously, 18 years in St. Paul, along with those 18 years are two championships. He is now a, the manager of the Kane County Cougars. So King County instantly on my board kind of jumps up a lot. He's clearly a guy that's been around indie ball for a while. Not to mention he won some championships in New Jersey too in his uh, stint here before he wound up uh, going out west. And he knows how to win. He has connections. He's been around for a while. He seems like a very interesting guy to watch. And, I mean, it's also helpful when you're right outside of Chicago in a very nice ballpark. I would say that is a very good match right there. Very interesting pairing. And uh, King County is a team that I'm going to be very interested to watch. And hopefully they can start making some moves now because they have not done anything all offseason. Yeah, I, I think it's an, it's absolutely an A-plus hire. I mean, there, there, there's no doubt about it. Samus has been, he's been around. He's had so much success at the indie ball level. Uh, and, of course, with the, of course, with the, with the St. Paul Saints, We've seen teams, interestingly enough, have opportunities to go with 
these these guys who have had success in indie ball and they're experienced in indie ball and they've chosen to go in the in, in another direction of course that being uh lexington and and west virginia and gastonia to an extent i mean goose gozo's managed once in the atlantic league granted it was for one year and wasn't fired due to performance but that of course it was circumstances beyond his control in new britain mm. but it, it was interesting to see that king county didn't go that route they went with the guy who they thought was i'm not completely familiar with their thought process but they probably thought listen sam just uh george samus is going to win us the most games and he's going to build he has connections he's going to he's proven he can build a, ro- a great roster time and time again and for a, as great of a market as kane county is and as great of a front office as it seems like they do have you know they, they, they're not used to the indie ball world quite yet and having a guy like like samus in there running the show uh, on the field is a great move for them and, and i think you're right when you say that i, I wouldn't be surprised if they have a lot of success because of it. And I'm glad a guy like, like Sam has got another, got another gig with a team like Kane County that is looking to essentially become the, that to fill that St. Paul void as best they can. Although I don't think anybody can fully fill it. I think Kane County will, will do their best. And I think bringing in a guy who knows what it's like to, to, to win in the American association, I think it's a great move. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's the guy that knows what he's doing. And I think, like you were alluding to there, it's as much about what he can do on the field and providing a high-quality team as much as it is the off-the-field kind of guiding through independent league baseball for an organization that's never had to do that before. Kind of like what PJ was doing or is doing over in Lexington, I think he's going to do the same in Kane County, but I imagine George Samus is going to have a bit more say I also imagine what he says holds a little bit more weight because, again, he's been doing this in that particular league for nearly two decades, and he's been a manager for over two decades. He's won multiple championships. He has proven everything he has to prove. I mean, over a 1,000 wins in independent league baseball, too, is no small feat at all. So I I really am excited to look for look at what King County can do. Uh, on that, yeah, absolutely. Yep. On that, we flip over to some other uh, signings in the American Association as far as coaches go. Uh, Joe Cal- Califa Pietro, uh, he re-ups in Kansas City through 2023. Again, no real surprise. He's one of the best managers again in independent league baseball. So why wouldn't yeah. you re-up him? Uh, it's the case there. And then the only other one from the American Association is Stu Clyburn. Clyburn joins the Chicago Dogs staff as a pitching coach. I believe that's also Stan Clyburn's brother, if I'm right. Yes, yeah, so that, that, that's right. And I, I think that's that's the interesting one to me because because Stu was originally the pitching coach with uh, the Rochester Red Wings, the, the AAA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins up until up until this year. So I think that, I mean, bringing in a guy like him, I mean, at the end of the day, in the American Association, you're trying to get guys to that AAA level. So, I mean, so, so Stu Cliver, and especially as, as a pitching coach, seems like they have uh, they, they have a really strong staff there. Absolutely. I mean, Butch Hobson and then uh, now Stu Cliver make up that staff, or at least two-thirds of it. So, I mean, that's a solid uh, staff you put together there. And then uh, the last, sure. uh, yep. Then the last bit uh, of signings wise, coaches wise, high po- or in a high point. Uh, Gastonia finished filling out their uh, coaching staff. They added Chuck Stewart as the hitting coach and third base coach, and then Reggie Harris as the pitching coach. Uh, 
Chuck is obviously a longtime Atlantic League guy, although he's normally primarily out of New Jersey or the tri-state region when you look at his uh, kind of track record there. And then Reggie's a former major leaguer. So, I mean, that's obviously a nice addition to the staff. Yeah, I, I agree. I think what well, once once Guscozo was hired uh, in Gastonia, I I mean, it's not even like I had to hear anything. As a result, I'm like, yep, Chuck Stewart, there's there's almost no way Chuck Stewart doesn't follow him. He was Gozo's hitting coach back with New Britain in, in twenty nineteen. So that this was not a this was not a surprise at all to see him go with him to Gastonia. Uh and it seems like Evans is is also a uh, it seems like a nice hire. Former major leaguer, of course, uh, as you mentioned, has experience as a pitching coach, I believe, with Chicago. Okay, I want to say, I I, I believe I, I think I saw that, uh, but I, I could be I could be wrong. I think I really do think it was Gastonia. Excuse me, I think I said Reggie Evans. I'm yeah. so sorry. I meant Reggie Harris. Sorry about that. Reggie Evans was an NBA basketball player. What is my problem? <laughs> I was going to say, um, I, like, if I said Evans, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to call him on it. Yeah. Sorry. So Harris, yeah. So Harris was, uh, has experience as the pitching coach with the Chicago Dogs and the Sussex County Miners. So, uh, pr- pretty good indie ball, uh, experience there as Reggie. So, uh, Reggie Harris, not the NBA player, Reggie Evans, seems like a good hire. Yeah, absolutely there. So I think with that, uh, we've covered just about everything we needed to cover this week. Obviously, it's going to be a bit of a longer episode between the interview and now all of this. So I guess we could sign off, do the plugs, and get to anything else we have to get to here. Uh, if you I want think to, we have something else to get to. Oh, we definitely do. We have a conversation to get to after these plugs are done. Uh, so if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Indie Ball Pod. If you want to follow the show on Instagram, you could do so at ALPB underscore news. Especially do that because there's going to be like a slew of signings coming up within like the next 24 hours that you're going to want to be, you know, up on. And you'll get a lot of breakdowns there uh, for that. Or you can follow the show on at Indie Ball Report on Instagram there. Yeah, and then if you want to follow the show uh, or the other articles and things that we do, because I think I finally found the idea for the next article, which I'll probably start writing next month, is uh, you could do so on the IndieBallReport.com. Uh, that's the website. Go to there. Got the show notes. Got everything that's independent league baseball. It's there. So check that out. And then just follow the show wherever you find podcasts. Tune in, Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, uh, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, uh, Deezer, apparently. We're um, just about everywhere. So uh, be sure to do that. Amazon Music as well. So with that said, I know we have something else left to add. So let's just kind of get headlong into this here. So first off, we have to cover... A couple weeks back, you were saying that's one food you have a vendetta against. And then it was never went any further than that. So I have yeah. it written down right here. So I'm going to need you to explain your vendetta against whipped cream. Wait, so we're doing we're doing food or we're doing concerts? We're doing both. I have them both written down here because we're doing both. We're doing okay. both. We're doing both because <clears throat> this is this is important information. This is what the people come to listen to. This is okay. what they want. So, as far as whipped cream. Yeah. I don't. I don't hate it in the sense that I think it tastes disgusting. Personally, I'm just. I'm just not a fan of whipped cream. I don't think it adds anything. If you if if you have like ice cream, let's say, or, or whatever, and you're you're throwing whipped cream on top of it, I mean, it doesn't add anything. It just tastes like a cl- like a cloud of absolute nothing. 
Like you're just eating air. So, so to me, it's not that it like tastes bad. It, it just has no taste and it's just like taking up space. And I don't know why, I don't understand why people, uh, are so obsessed with whipped cream and like, like, like spraying whipped cream into their mouth, like towering it high on like brownie sundaes and stuff like that. Because it it's just add like, anything. it's it so empty, anything. but you could just keep going on it. It doesn't, it doesn't taste bad. I personally, I like the taste of whipped cream. I like whipped cream on like a milkshake or something. Like I'm not going to be tossing it but on. You just, like, did, you just admitted it doesn't add anything. It, it may not add anything, but there's something exactly. that it subconsciously adds. Like, I don't know what it is. Like Nick, technically, you you're right. Technically, you're right. Point. Like I'm with you on it partially, but I still like adding it to stuff because for whatever reason, I feel like it does, even if it doesn't. Like, it doesn't make I, sense, I but it's there. And I do want to know, is this, like, kind of... Does this go for, like, Cool Whip 2? Or is this just yes. whipped cream? Okay, so Cool Whip 2. Now, Cool Whip, I feel like it actually adds something. That's, like, a hardier thing. Nick, there is there is no more disappointing thing than, get like, getting a big a big cake for whatever, whatever like, birthday or whatever... And you dig into the cake, and it's whipped icing. Oh, I disagree heavily on that. Oh, um, I disagree come heavily on, on that. No, whipped no, no. Icing is brutally awful. It no, is it is not. It is. It not. doesn't taste like anything. You're just eating whipped cream. It doesn't add anything. Buttercream icing is actually has flavor, and it tastes sweet. Oh, no. And it, it, it actually, no. you actually make eating a cake worth your time. Nah, no, no, no. Like you're gonna tell me you want like a buttercream icing on like a strawberry shortcake? Yes, I want buttercream icing on anything. I never want whipped icing on literally. I mean, cream cheese is fine as well. I mean that that works. That oh, works no. also. But uh, but whipped I whipped icing cannot stand it. It's so disappointing when I when I dig into a cake and there is whipped icing. I I gotta disagree. It's lighter. It complements more. It's a secondary type of add-on here and it allows the actual cake part of the cake to shine that's that's his goal it does that the very well icing the buttercream icing doesn't take away from the cake i'm i'm saying it ta- it does take away from it it takes away from in the sense where it now comp it compromises the flavor profile of the whole cake i don't know i i, I don't agree with that i think that i don't know it, it, just in my opinion it's it doesn't it doesn't taste it's it tastes like whipped cream which doesn't add anything and you're just eating like, like air along with cake. So if you if you wanted if you just wanted just straight up cake, like pound cake, I mean you might as well just go for that. I I disagree on that. I I really do. But the one that I I do have as a hill to die on because I'm I'm not willing to die on the whipped cream hill. If yeah. that it is what it is, the concert hill I am more willing to die on. Because I think this okay. is just a case of you haven't been to the right concert yet or haven't been to a concert with the right people yet. Because I used to have the same logic here as you were describing last week in that you said, okay, you know, it, if I want to listen to the music, you know, I could just go and like listen to it on Spotify or whatever. And so I'll grant you that, but it's the experience that you're going for. And There's no experience. I mean, the, the experience is. I mean, I mean, you have see. I'm a very mellow guy. Right. I mean, as a guy who goes to a ton of baseball games and watches baseball all day long, you got to be a pretty mellow guy to, uh, to 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 be watching as much baseball as I do. So going to concerts and like 
I don't know, just everyone's so like jammed up and, and close. I mean, and of course, I'm not even talking about this like pandemic speaking. Yeah. But the, just like I don't know, it just it's not something that's that fun to me. I don't think the music sounds as good. I mean, just because it's live, and I of course I understand why. It just yeah. it, it doesn't sound as good. And you know, there, there's people who get under the influence of substances around me that irritate me and bother me. And so I'd rather that there to me, there's just nothing that a concert adds. I wouldn't pay like thousands of dollars. Like people do to go okay, like, on the floor. Much. Oh no, trust me. I know. I know, I, I know the, I know the people you're talking about. I know the kind I, of things I, I they pay thousands for. I top it off oh, at yeah. a, like As a couple hundred goes, and they gotta be several acts that are decent. As somebody who goes to school, like right, like walking distance away from the Nassau Coliseum, yeah. where pre-pandemic there were plenty of concerts there all the time, and people were dropping. Like I'm so serious because there was a night where Post Malone went to the Nassau Coliseum, and it was a huge deal. And there were people I knew somebody who paid like five thousand dollars to get on the floor for that concert. If you're paying five thousand dollars to see Post Malone at the Nassau Coliseum, Coliseum. You need to get your head examined. I'm just going to throw that out there to begin with. Like, I mean, he's not worth five grand. I don't mind. I like Post Malone personally, but I mean, I mean, there's not one person. There's not one, and I trust me. I have musicians that I I really do like, but there, there is not any of them that I would, I would not pay like money to go see them in concert because it just doesn't matter to me. I if I want to listen to their music. I can put in my headphones and go on Apple Music and just hit play. And, I'm, and I listen to it, and it sounds better than in a concert. I don't get bothered by anybody else. And I get to listen to it on my own time. And there's and there's people with, who are not under the influence of substances around me, which is a great thing for me. And I know it's an unpopular opinion, and that's fine. But I, I mean, that's just, that's just how I view it. There's not one. Like, there's not one musician I would I would I would go to see a concert. I'm not saying you're wrong here, but I'm just I'm just gonna throw out here. It's not like I'm Mr. Sociable either, but I still do enjoy going with my friends and whatnot, and going seeing a concert and whatnot. Like there's still, and I will I agree with you on the, on the point here. If people are smoking weed or something around me, it's like okay, it's whatever. I don't really care. But it's like it's yeah, annoying when the either. smoke hits me. I I it's like dude, it smells like shit. Get your crap yeah. weed away from me. But the point is, I still enjoy going out and whatnot. And like, going out to concerts and shit, it's just really fun. And I do have a list of musicians that I do want to see in concert because I just think the overall experience is what drives me there. From a practical point of view, you're entirely right. Putting headphones in, like quality headphones are going to make the music sound better 100% of the time because you're able to just do more with the audio. And whenever you're projecting audio across the venue of even a couple hundred, it's going to be worse inherently. And then the larger the venue, the worse the audio is going to be unless it has tremendous acoustics in it, which there's very few venues that have that. That said, I do think there is something to be surrounded by a bunch of people that all are fans of the same musician, all just really enjoying everything and just kind of feeding off the energy of the crowd and everything. And I think it also heavily depends on who you see in concert. There's some people that I really like their music, but I have no real desire to see in concert. Then there's other people that I really want to see in concert, but their music is so-so to me. And I think that also matters an awful lot. Plus, again, I think it depends heavily on who you see a concert with. 
and uh, where you're seeing it too. Like, like again, I'm not saying like, like I disagree with you, but I'm not saying you're wrong in any sense because practically speaking, you're 100% right. But there's just something about like the the energy from the crowd that makes concerts appealing. So I was just curious as to why yeah. you held that opinion there, but I, I see why. Yeah, it, it's almost the opposite view of people who don't want to go to. It's it's like I have the opposite opinion of sporting events in the sense that oh, like I why would I why would I go to a sporting event and sit in the nosebleeds or whatever when I could just watch watch the game with these great angles or whatever yeah. on, on my yeah, TV. That's actually a perfect and comparison. I, th- I think the NFL is probably a good example of that just because the oh, broadcasts have been so, have been so insanely good now are so insanely good now. And it, but, but to me, like, it's like, yeah, you're, you're feeding off the energy of the crowd. And it's, so I, I guess it's a, it's just a different thing for me when it comes to sports, but it's just not, I mean, the yeah. concerts just, just don't, just don't excite me. So it, it's weird. I kind of have like two different, two different opinions on that. All right, so I think with that said and nothing else left to add, we can end this show by saying the same thing we say every week. Don't forget to play ball. Okay, the call got dropped there for a second, so I'm going to have to re-up that call, but I'm going to continue doing the plugs in the meanwhile. Is the recording okay? Yeah, the recording's all good to go. The recording keeps going regardless. So, if okay, anything, right, now cool. I've just found the extra bit I'm throwing at the end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> but, 